All right, well, it is good to see you this morning, and thank you to those of you who are joining us online. If you are new with our church, as has already been said, we're so glad that you're here with us, Uh, or if you're watching online for the first time, we're so glad that you're with us, and we would love to know who you are. Uh, You can stop by the welcome desk or one of our connect tents, or you can text the word connect to the number that is on the screen, and uh, one of our staff members will follow up with you this week, and we would love to just help you learn how you can get connected into the life of our church. Well, as we get ready for the school year to start, there is a lot happening uh, in our church, and specifically in our student and our children's ministry. Uh, There's promotion, there's uh, special events, and so forth. So I just want to encourage you to make sure that you are paying attention uh, to our church-wide communication. Uh, the, there's an insert every Sunday. There's the announcements. Uh, we send out an email. We um, uh, have social media. So just make sure you're paying attention to the church-wide communication and the ministry-specific communication so you don't miss anything. And I want to take a moment and praise God for the incredible response in our children's ministry. God has really blessed this church uh, with a lot of children, and we are rising to the challenge to be a part of caring for and equipping these children. If you've been with us, uh, you'll remember a little over a month ago, Pastor Michael came up and he shared all these holes in children's ministry that we have, and uh, now we only have a few of those spots left to fill. Uh, We're looking for four people to lead the K through third small groups at 930, one uh, person uh, to be a leader in the baby, with the babies at 11 o'clock, one first grade Bible teacher at 11 o'clock, and then two ladies to work with our second and third grade girls on Wednesday night. So praise God uh, for the response that we're having. And if you are able and willing to help out with one of these roles that I just mentioned, you can contact Lucas. Uh, you can email him, lucas at churchonbayshore.org, or you can stop by the boat, the kids check-in desk, and let the team know. Uh, also, in our correspondence, and uh, as, just, uh, as was said in Giselle said in the welcome, uh, you will notice that we have a town hall meeting coming up on Sunday night, August 8th. So uh, not to call you out, but most of this service never comes to any of those things. Uh, And I I wanna encourage you to come because there are two significant things happening. One is our trustees are gonna share a a broad vision for our facilities in the future and specifically talk about our office project and just kind of the implications of all that on where we're headed. But secondly, and probably, uh, and definitely in my opinion, more significantly is we are voting to modify our constitution and bylaws to allow for ministry leadership teams that place a greater emphasis on our priorities of discipleship and outreach. This might seem like a no-brainer to you or not that big of a deal, but I believe that this move will be what this church looks back on for years to come as the catalyst for renewed strength and great kingdom impact. And I just wanna encourage you to be a part of that significant evening on Sunday, August the 8th. The priority of every church should be making disciples. The priority of this church should be making disciples. The priority of every believer should be making disciples. That is the thread throughout the entire New Testament. It is the emphasis of Jesus's ministry, and it's what he's emphasizing in Mark chapter 4. 
You can go ahead and open up your Bible to Mark chapter 4. We're going to read verses 26 through 29 this morning. Now, uh, if you noticed, we've went out of order in Mark 4, but it is fitting that we did this as these verses here really build on the parable of the sower, which we looked at last week. In the parable of the sower, Jesus explains how there are different responses to the gospel and how we don't really understand the why for these responses. In our text today, Jesus reiterates this, Mark chapter 4, verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. In all of these passages that we are looking at, Jesus is describing the kingdom of God. Here, he likens it to a farmer who scatters seed. Verse 26, he says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now, we understand that illustration, but due to the lack of people who are doing sustenance farming, I don't know any of you, uh, and due to the lack of the fact that we, you know, on our daily commutes, pass grain fields, <laughs> um, we can easily overlook how familiar this would have been to Jesus' initial audience. When he says, verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grown in the ear. They knew what he was talking about. Now, we didn't come to a botany class today, but I want to explain how a seed grows. We have an image that explains that there are three parts of a seed. There's the embryo, the endosperm, and the coat. Now, the seed coat has an important job. It covers the entire seed, protecting the little baby plant that is inside and keeping it from drying out. The seed coat also has special chemicals in it that can tell when the seed is in the right place to start growing. For example, the sunflower seeds and the pumpkin seeds that are in your trail mix, they sense that it's not safe to grow. After all, um, you can't grow as a seed when you're surrounded by nuts and chocolate chips. So while the seeds are in a bag or in your hand, it's like they're asleep. The seeds are still alive, but they are dormant or inactive. And some seeds can stay like this for hundreds, possibly even thousands of years. To get started, every seed needs water, the right temperature, and the right amount of light. Once the seed has these three things, like when it's planted in some nice wet soil, the embryo or the baby plant gives the signal to start growing. This process is called germination. First, the seed coat lets some water through to the embryo, but the water needs more than just water if it's going to grow. But there's a good thing. There's a whole bunch of plant food right there inside the seed. Until the plant can make its own food from sunlight, which it will need leaves to do, it relies on the endosperm for energy. It's like the little baby plant has its own backpack of snacks until it can get its full meal. And so a root grows downward from the seed no matter what way the seed is planted. The seed can actually tell which way is up and which way is down. So the root pushes down deeper and deeper into the soil looking for more and more water to feed the baby plant. Soon after the first 
baby root finds its way to dirt or through the dirt, another part of the seed pops out, this time in the opposite direction. A shoot, which has the stem of the plant and a few leaves, pushes its way up towards the sunlight. Once the shoot breaks through the soil to the open air above, we say that it has sprouted. Now the plant doesn't need endosperm anymore because it can make its own food from sunlight. With enough water and enough sunlight, the right temperatures, the young plant will continue to grow, growing bigger and getting more leaves until it is an adult plant and it can produce seed of its own. So they didn't understand that all of this was taking place in the ground. They had learned a lot about farming in Jesus's day. By the time of Jesus, farmers knew what to do to have the best chance of producing the greatest crop. But there were variables that did not guarantee 100% success. Today, farming has advanced quite a bit, but it still is not an exact science, and crops are vulnerable to the environment that they are in. For the farmer in Jesus' day and for the farmer in our day, he does all that he or she knows to do, but the growth happens because of the earth or because of the environment, not solely because of the effort of the farmer. The point that Jesus is making is that the kingdom of God is similar to this and that the seeds of the gospel are planted and scattered, but we don't fully know if and when the work of the gospel happens in people's lives. In Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the New Testament, he puts it this way, these passages in Mark. Then Jesus said, God's kingdom is like seed thrown on a field by a man who then goes to bed and forgets about it. The seed sprouts and grows, and he has no idea how it happens. The earth does it all, all without his help, first a green stem of grass, then a bud, then the ripened grain, when the grain is fully formed, he reaps harvest time. Jesus describes what takes place, but again, there is this lack of detail in all how all of this happens. It seemingly just happens or just doesn't happen. But the harvest is the hope. He says in verse 29, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus is referring to the Lord of the harvest himself here, and he says, this is the hope. This is why heaven rejoices, the Bible tells us. This is why Jesus came, the Bible tells us. This is why God created us, the Bible tells us. The harvest of souls who would enter into heaven for eternity with God himself. Now, I don't know about you, but this is challenging for me because I'm the kind of person that likes to know if I invest something, there's going to be at least some chance that it pays off. If I invest money, I invest that money in hopes that it will lead to more money, certainly in hopes that I won't lose all of that money. If I spend time teaching my children or maybe volunteering to teach children in our church or coach children in our community, I do that in hopes that at least some of those children will learn, and with great anticipation that they will learn whatever it is I might be teaching. If I am learning, if I'm going to Bible study or I'm going to school, I'm doing that so that I might learn something that I can apply in my life. So to read the words of Jesus here can be a little frustrating to read. It would be like being told, invest money, but there's really no way of knowing if 
it's gonna do anything at all for you. There's no real, I, I can't promise you that. It'd be like saying invest your time teaching and coaching, but no one may learn anything you say. Or pay and invest time to go to school, but you really might not learn anything. It could be frustrating to hear. But the older I get, the more I live to honor Christ with my life, the more affirming, the more encouraging this has actually become because it's real. It's reality. I'm a pastor because I believe the Lord has called me to lead people to follow him. But I encounter a lot of indifference. People who just really don't care about what I have to say, and more importantly, who really don't care about what Jesus has to say. I encounter people who seem so excited about God. They, they come and they, they pray with me, and maybe there's tears, and they're excited. They start going to Bible studies, start getting involved, and very quickly, they just kind of fade away. I, I encounter people who seem to be so serious about God for years, maybe decades, and then they fall. And they're nowhere in sight. I also encounter people who, you know, it, it takes years and years, and you think, man, they're never gonna care about God, and God just gets a hold of them. I encounter people who remain faithful and continue to plug in for the Lord. But if you are going to work the harvest, if you are going to make disciples, if you are going to live sent, if you are going to invest in people, what Jesus is saying is you won't know if the seeds you plant are going to spring up into a plant or not, and you won't necessarily know why. Now, because of this, we are tempted to find ourselves drifting from time to time into periods of indifference where we think, what is the point? What is the point of studying for a Bible lesson every week and serving in the church and, and having these conversations with people? What is the point of living this being my career? We might drift in another way where we begin to fixate on man-made measures. And so we begin to manufacture as a, as a believer and as a church uh, these successes and we begin to tie our worth to how many people are getting saved and how many people are coming. And so what we need to do is we need to remain faithful to God in the midst of this climate of what it means to be somebody who works for the kingdom of God. Even though we might not see results and we might not know why we do or do not see results. So I want to share three things to encourage us to remain faithful to God. And I want to give you three passages of Scripture that I think supplement those encouragements. The first is this. God's servants do not care about getting credit. God's servants do not care about getting credit. I want to read the words of probably the man with the most ambition to see the kingdom of God grow that ever walked the earth. One to whom, practically speaking, much of what is Christianity would not exist without, the Apostle Paul. In his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 through 8, he says this. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? 
What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. In this day, people are identifying with leaders other than Christ. Paul is saying to them, we as leaders, Paul, Apollos, he also references Peter in this letter, we have disagreements and we have differences, but we are striving for the same goal. And while you can honor teachers, and the Bible speaks to this, why are you tying your identity to who it is that you are following? We don't deserve any credit for the results. The results are really up to God as Jesus taught us. So all of our aim should be his reward, not earthly praise or credit. Now this is challenging for me as I suspect it is for many of you. While there is a big part of me that truly, sincerely just wants to serve the Lord and doesn't care about recognition or results, I have found myself wanting recognition and wanting results for the good work that I've done, specifically the work that I've done that I wasn't given credit for. I was actually even tempted to use this as an opportunity to give some examples to you, to make myself look good of things that I never got the credit for, hence now giving myself the credit. Today, social media has amplified churches and individuals ensuring that our righteous deeds are seen before men. So think about this feeling that we have for credit, for recognition, and then compare it with what Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark. In Paul's words that say, we may not even know if our work paid off or not. The English pastor J.C. Ryle said, our principal work is to sow the seed. That done, we may wait with faith and patience for the result. We may sleep and rise night and day and leave our work with the Lord. Ryle is saying that we are not responsible for the results. We are responsible for obedience. When our text says that the farmer sleeps and rises day and night, this is a recurring action of sowing the seed and cultivating the land. The farmer continues to work, not knowing fully the reward of his labor. One commentator says, growth is of God, and the believer is to trust and wait upon God for growth. But the trust and the waiting are to be active, a working trust and waiting. There is not such thing as an inactive faith and waiting, not to God. Faith and waiting upon God are active. They both serve and work. The reality is we don't know the decisions that our children will make for Christ. But we certainly want to do everything we can as parents to intentionally invest the gospel in their life in hopes that they will see who Jesus is. If we are married, we do not know whether our spouse will fully meet their end of 
the deal, of the covenant. We don't know the decisions that they will make, but we know that we are hold account, held accountable by God to be the spouse that he has called us to be unto him. We don't know if we will get the promotions, if our financial freedom will ever happen the way that we would like it to have to be more uh, generous to God, but we give sacrificially to him, trusting in him, and we work hard to give ourselves opportunities to be such. As a leader, we do not know if our efforts will ever pay off, if our groups will ever grow, if our church will ever grow, if we will see great results, but we remain faithful to God. While all of these examples of faithfulness to God are indeed encouragement to us without guarantee or without promise of fruitfulness, they're not the intention of this text. The intention of this text is us being people who sow seeds of the gospel as much as possible. Sowing happens by God using people to plant the word in others. In Romans 10, God says, those who call on his name will be saved. But it says, how will they call on his name unless they believe? And how will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone preaches the gospel to them? That is the call of the church to be on mission to spread the gospel. And yet, if we're not careful, what happens is we begin to base our identity and our worth on how many people are responding to our spreading of the gospel. But the reward for us ultimately is not even that. The reward is Christ himself. This past Wednesday night, I had the privilege of spending a few moments with uh, those who attend our Wednesday evening prayer meeting. These are some of our most dearest and senior saints committed to serving the Lord in their 80s and 90s. And we sang the hymn when we all get to heaven. And one of the verses of that hymn says this, let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of him and glory will the toils of life repay. The reward is one glimpse of Jesus in heaven and everything we did on this life will be worth it. And that leads me to my second thing to encourage you with this morning to be faithful is this. God's servants do not give up. God's servants do not give up. What all of this is implying is that there is going to be likely times or listen, perhaps even an entire life of work with uncertainty of the fruit of our work. Galatians is a letter correcting the church for erring in legalism to the point of missing the gospel and encouraging the church to remain faithful and pointing each other to Christ-like living. In the last chapter of Galatians, Paul says the following words in verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who rub the household of faith. Paul begins this closing here by saying, do not be deceived. He's telling them, pay attention. Why is he trying to get their attention here? Because we are tempted to go after things that affirm us 
in the flesh instead of remaining faithful to God. But then he says, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap from the flesh corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We reap what we sow. This is true in many ways. My weight fluctuates up and down by about 15 pounds constantly because I reap what I sow. I count my calories now in a calorie tracker, and I sow a belly from reaping pizza, or I sow, sow, reap a belly from sowing pizza. I and most of us wish we had more money saved up, and the reality of why we don't have more money saved up can be clearly revealed in what we've sown if we look at our bank account. The relationships that we have and the things we experience in relationships, the world wants to teach you that it's karma is why you experience difficult things in your relationship, but what I'm telling you is that you reap what you sow in your relationships, by and large. And our character and who we are today is a direct result of the choices we make, the disciplines we have, and the time we spend or don't spend with God or whatever influences us. But what Galatians is talking about is the proclamation and application of the word of God. And what Paul is saying to the Galatians is you can trust God for guidance and for living. And he says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. There is a reward to come for those who are faithful to God. He says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That phrase, as we have opportunity is an important phrase. When I read that, I think of the parable of the talents. You see, in this parable that Jesus tells us, there's these men, and they have different levels of opportunity. It has nothing to do with them, just that's how life is. We often, because we live in a nation where this is more true than other places, tend to think that everything is on a level playing field, that everything is fair and everyone has the same opportunities. That's wrong. That's a lie. You can go out into a little league ball field and very clearly see not every person is born with the same athletic ability. And we can spend all the money and all the time we want, but we sometimes just can't make up for that. It's not level. It's not even. And we love the stories of the person who makes it to professional sports or to a Division I team that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But there's many people who believe that verse that couldn't do that because it's just how life is. Not everybody is born with the same level of intelligence. Not everybody is wired for the same amount of academic excellence. Again, we can create opportunities that give us the best chance, but it's just not the same playing field. Not everybody is born into the same families, the same financial situations, and same context, especially if you look at the world, to have the same amount of opportunity to make money. 
And based on our backgrounds and our families, we're gonna have different challenges and adversities that we face. Some things are gonna come more easy to certain people. That is just how life is. And if you don't believe that, and especially if you twisted the Bible to not believe that, you are deceived or ignorant at best. People believe we can do all things. We can, we'll get whatever we want. And, and then we leave people insufficient when they don't realize that the call of Scripture is not to rise to the top, but to as you have opportunity to be faithful unto God. You are not held accountable for how you compare with the greatest successes on social media. You are held accountable for doing what you know to do with what God has given you to do. And the Bible tells us that the whole law is fulfilled in this, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, am I living that kind of life, seeking to honor God? And, and this text very clearly tells us that begins with the church taking care of each other. There's a lie in modern church growth that we just focus on non-believers. And that's the answer. The answer is not that. The answer is, as we live out these one another's together, our desire to reach out becomes stronger, and that's how church grows. That's what we should be doing and living. But honestly, if we're not thinking about the fact that Jesus tells us, hey, you don't know what's gonna happen. And the things that Paul is indicating when he says, hey, just be faithful where you are, then it could be especially frustrating to live your life for God and not see results. When people aren't responsive or when people get excited and then fade away, or when people you thought were so legit drift away after years. When you've been working hard and there just isn't a lot of fruit, it can be discouraging. And it can lead you to say, I'm not going to prioritize my life around God and his will anymore. Because at the same time, things are pulling at you for your immediate attention and affection, and satisfaction, and pulling you away from a life lived for God. But we must remember that we will reap in due season of the Spirit, to not grow weary in doing good, that God is not mocked. In his book, Your Future Self Will Thank You, Drew Dick, at the very end of the book, closes with this statement. He says, he's writing on self-control and prioritizing disciplines of the Christian life, and he says, God, on the other hand, is more interested in your future self. He's more concerned about you than your current level of comfort. He cares more about who you're becoming than how you feel right now. And while the devil gives his best up front, God always saves the best for last. This leads me to my third and last statement to encourage you to be faithful to God, and that's this. God's servants are a work in progress that will be completed by him. God's servants are a work in progress that will be completed by him. Now, it's nuanced, and it's more complicated than a, than a quick minute explanation. And so we should love each other with grace and mercy as we struggle. But to not live your life being faithful to God because you don't see the fruit, because the problems you see with other people, 
because you don't know that your results will pay off. To say, because of those things, I'm not gonna live faithful to God is you not trusting in the faithfulness of God. Because the believer remembers the promise of God to be faithful to us to eternity. When Paul writes to the Philippians, he, he says this to them, Philippians chapter one, verse three through six, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, and for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm so thankful for your faithfulness. It brings me joy, and I know that what God is doing in you is going to be made complete at the day of Jesus Christ. And the reason we live faithfully to God is we believe in the transformative power of the gospel. A dormant seed can stay that way inactive for hundreds, some scientists say even thousands of years. And when it's put in the right soil, it becomes a plant that produces seeds, that produces fruit. And the reason we live for the gospel is we understand that we may not always see that, but that's the power of the gospel. And the reason we know this is because we know the power of the gospel in our lives. And we know that we have been rewarded everything in Christ Jesus. So if we can trust him to save us as sinners, giving us righteousness, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? God is always a good steward of my time. And I realize more than the fact that you are works in progress that I don't know the results of, I am the work in progress. And I see God's grace in my life. And I want to live my life in response to that grace. Now, I realize that in this room and listening to me online, there are people who you don't care. This just doesn't matter to you. You're not concerned with really giving your all for the sake of the gospel, and you have many reasons why. And I just wanna go back to the parable of the sower, to Jesus' explanation, and in love, I just wanna warn you of something. In Mark chapter four, just a few verses back, Jesus explains the parable of the sower to the disciples, beginning in verse 14, and he says this, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, 
and it proves unfruitful. Let me just pause here before I read verse 20. No farmer would rejoice in any of those scenarios. Verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Those who hear the gospel and receive it with joy and begin to bear fruit of the gospel, those are those, the ones who have understood who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what it means to live for him. And I say this with love. I say this because I care about you. If your life is choked out by the things of this world, if your life is an up and down of joy but no real obedience to God, then you have not grasped the gospel. And you do not have the promise of eternity with Christ Jesus. The gospel is too powerful to cause you to stay the way that you are. And I'm not asking you to measure yourself up to me or anybody else. But what the gospel does is it leads us to, as we have opportunity, we sow seeds of the gospel in the lives of of those who are around us. So perhaps today you were like Chris, and when you were a kid, you prayed a prayer and got baptized to make your church family or your parents happy and because you felt like it was the right thing. Maybe you've had some kind of religion where you thought, hey, this makes me good, but you've never really experienced the grace of Jesus and responded to the grace of Jesus. Then I'm, what, I, what I want to invite you to do today is to confess that sin to him and trust in him as their Lord and Savior. At the end of the service, myself, Pastor Justin, we'll be down at the front of the stage. We'd be happy to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. If you wanna text the word believe to the number that's on the screen, uh, we'll show that again at the end of the service as well. You can do that. But we are here to help you with taking those steps of obedience and following Christ. Now as we move into our time of response, I don't want us to just move into the song and sing and go. I really want us to take a moment as believers and just be still. And uh, the, the worship team can pray during this time, but I mean, play during this time, you could pray too. But um, some of you, you're leading a group, you're serving in a ministry. You're investing in people in your home. You're investing in friends that don't know Christ and you're not seeing results. And I just pray in this moment that the Holy Spirit would just encourage you. That the Holy Spirit would just strengthen you and you would remember in this moment that Christ is our reward. So I just invite you to bow your head and close your eyes and we're just gonna be still and I'll give it a minute or two and then I'll lead us in prayer. God, speak to us.
God, in the stillness of this moment and the quietness of this moment, I pray that your voice is loud in the hearts of my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray that your voice is loud to the person who's in their home struggling with their family. I pray that your voice is loud to the person who's burdened for the people around them that don't know you. I pray that your voice is loud in the, vo the heart of the leader who's plugging in and not seeing the results that they hope for. I'm always convicted when I'm around my children and I think about the activities I have to plan or the things I wanna do or give them and they just wanna be with me. God, I pray as your children that just being with you is enough. And what you've done for us and who you've declared us to be is enough. And I pray, I pray that we are strengthened right now not by our efforts, not by what we can do, Lord, but by what Christ has done for us on the cross and the promise that the resurrection brings. So God, renew us, strengthen us to serve you, for you, and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.